start a series today that, that I believe is super important. In fact, um, you know, I've only got so many more times left to preach to this church, and I really felt like this is the theme I want to leave us all with. And it has to do with the Holy Spirit. And I'm calling this, this, this series Numa, Life in the Spirit. And Numa, and it's not a word you use all the time, and has nothing to do with pneumonia, although it kind of does. Uh, the word Numa is actually the Greek word that is often used in the New Testament for the Spirit. Because the word pneuma itself means wind, it means breath, it means spirit. And so it is the word often used of the Holy Spirit in the accounts of the New Testament. And then, of course, in the Old Testament, there's a different word, a Hebrew word. But that same word used for spirit also means wind and breath and spirit or to animate. And so that's what we're talking about today is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I know that those are very fitting terms to describe the third person of the Trinity, wind, breath, spirit. So as we talk about the Holy Spirit today, I know I I just need to kind of diffuse a few things quickly because the truth be told, the Holy Spirit can be a topic that has all kinds of perspectives. For example, you might be of the perspective today coming this where you're excited about a series on the Holy Spirit because you've grown up hearing about the Holy Spirit and you get excited when there are messages about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so you're coming to this with anticipation in your heart because you want to learn more and grow to know better the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But I also know in this room there are others who come to this with a little bit of hesitancy and probably even some caution. Because maybe you were in a faith community where uh, they were very Holy Spirit focused to the point where maybe it wasn't super healthy. In fact, it could have been a little bit nutty. And sometimes you didn't know what in the world was going on, and it was just kind of weird. And so you walked away from that thinking, I am never again going to go to a church that claims to be Spirit-filled. And then there are others here today who you approach this series completely skeptical. Because maybe you grew up in a faith tradition that said the Holy Spirit no longer works today. The work of the Spirit was for the season of the apostles. And once the apostles preached the gospel and the Bible was compiled, we no longer needed the works of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be at work. And so now we have God's word. And so we can carry on forth from there. And so as you hear a series on the Holy Spirit, you're just a little bit hesitant because you think that why would we talk about the Holy Spirit when we don't even really need that anymore? So whatever your perspective, here's my challenge to all of us, as I am doing myself with this series. I want you to approach this series with an open heart and a willing mind. An open heart and a willing mind. Because reality, that's how you approached God. You had to come with an open heart and a willing mind and say, I believe in you, God. I believe you can do a work in my heart. So this is how you approached God. And here's the big secret. Well, it's not even really a secret. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay, let me remind you, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about this, we have to understand there's nothing to be fearful of here. The Holy Spirit is God. And Jesus so wanted us to experience God the Holy Spirit that he told his disciples not to do anything after his death and resurrection, not to go anywhere else or do anything until they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He taught his disciples this critical role of the Holy Spirit while he was still with them. In fact, we'll look at some of those on a different date, the work of the Holy Spirit that would be at work in their lives. But here's the deal. I just want you to open your heart. Open your heart today. Even if you're already fully in and you want everything the Holy Spirit has for you, still open your heart 
to this series and what God wants to do through it. I believe that the giving of the Holy Spirit was the apex of Jesus' ministry. Let me explain. We know that Jesus came incarnate of God, born, ministered, taught. He eventually went to the cross, died for our sins, rose again to give us victory over death and sin and the grave, and he rose and ascended to the Father. But here's something that happens. The work was not done. Because now, at the apex of Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit is given. And here's why, friends, the Holy Spirit is so critical. Without the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, everything Jesus did would not be available to you. It's just that simple. The death and resurrection of Jesus, while they were remarkable things, without the work of the Holy Spirit, those things would not influence your life. Because it is the Spirit of God that is so integral to your salvation, to you actually even being convicted of your sin and desiring a Savior and entering new life. In fact, Titus 3, 4 talks about it. Let's look at it. In fact, today if you're here, you got your snappy little smart device and you have the YouVersion Bible app, open it up. And if you know how to navigate to your menu, to events, Neighborhood Church is there for you. We want you to follow along there. There are some images you can share to your social media as well in the Bible app. But in Titus 3, 4, listen to the work of the Holy Spirit. Actually, what you'll see here is the Trinity, okay? No part of the Trinity is missing. But when the goodness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, how? By the Holy Spirit. So friends, integral part of our life as Christians. Can't happen. There can't be a renewal, there can't be a refreshing without the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, the apex of his ministry, Jesus, now the Holy Spirit coming to be in us, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So when I read the scriptures, especially the book of Acts and the New Testament books after the letters written by Paul, I walk away from my readings absolutely convinced of the necessity of a life wholly surrendered to, dependent upon, and filled by the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say it this way. Christianity is meant to be a life fully surrendered and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I want to unpack that case further. Because Jesus instructed his followers to stay in Jerusalem after his death and resurrection, to wait for the Holy Spirit. How critical the work of the Spirit will be in the continued ministry of Jesus. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we see this. After his suffering, this is talking about Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. This is no surprise to the followers. He's already talked about the Holy Spirit while he was with them, and now he's assuring them once again it's going to come. Verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's go to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So although the disciples wouldn't comprehend it at the time, what Jesus was basically saying is it was better for them to have the invisible Holy Spirit in them than it was to have the physical Jesus with them. I'm going to say that again. What he was saying through this whole thing is I'm going away. It's better for you that I go away so the Holy Spirit comes. It is better for them to have the invisible Holy Spirit in them than it was to have Jesus right beside them. Now, for us as humans, that's kind of hard to comprehend because it's like we love somebody being right here with skin on. We love the fact I can talk to them. They're here. They can direct me. I can follow them. I mean, come on. We would love that. But Jesus was saying, you need this, and it's better for you. If I go away, because the Holy Spirit in you is actually even better than me just with you. Now, of course, Jesus did say later in the Great Commission that he was going to be with them always, right? Uh, The truth is that is happening by the work of the Holy Spirit, that he is with us always, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit with us. But what happened? From that moment in Acts chapter 1, it goes to Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the disciples that are gathered in the upper room. In that moment, Peter begins to preach, and 3,000 people get saved. And then from that point on, you look at the book of Acts, and you see the Roman Empire impacted by the gospel. Now, how could convincing talks about a man from Galilee who claimed to be a Messiah How could that completely and totally revolutionize the Roman Empire? How could that gospel message from the backwaters of Galilee make it all the way to the capitals of Rome? How? Because spirit-empowered men and women believed that Jesus was who he said he was, and they received who he said they would receive, the Holy Spirit, and they began to minister with power all around them. In fact, God's people proclaimed the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then also, by the way, they confirmed it with holy lives. And that's what we desperately still need today, people who are unashamedly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and then confirming that in how they live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Too often we're called hypocrites, right? It's got to stop. We have to be people who not only proclaim the gospel and Holy Spirit power, but also confirm that in the way we live our lives. And think about it. They lived in a hostile environment. They were preaching the gospel to people who wanted to kill them. I mean, look at the number of times that Paul, the apostle who traveled the most, first missionary, traveling throughout the Roman Empire, just try to count. You can't even count on Two sets of hands, how many times he was beaten, arrested, left for dead, shipwrecked, all the things that he went through, but yet he kept at it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was at work in his life, and he kept at it, and he kept at it. He was empowered to serve. But here's what also happened. The disciples and other people, yes, it was a harsh environment in which to preach, but they would also come together in fellowship and they would pray for one another and the Holy Spirit would fill their lives and they would be encouraged by the Holy Spirit and they would go out and minister again. And friends, this is what we need today. We are trying to share the gospel in a hostile culture who believes that we're now post-Christian. We don't need Jesus, thank you very much. We don't need the Christian church. You can might as well just leave because we're not going to listen to you anyway. And we're in this kind of a culture where we're still pro- called to proclaim the gospel. The good news is still good news. In fact, it's even better news now because the good news is always good in dark and bad places. But he needs spirit-empowered people who will live and communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ with authority and power. 
He needs his church to do that. And what was so incredible about this band of believers who became thousands is so dramatic was the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles that even their enemies couldn't deny it. In Acts chapter 4, you might recall the story in the book of Acts, as Peter and others began to preach publicly right in Jerusalem, they were arrested because they were proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah, and they, they would get arrested. And, and in one of those occasions, here's Peter, and he's standing before the Sanhedrin, the, the religious court who had the, the, the capacity to arrest them, have them beaten. And look what happens. When they, these were these religious judicial men, when they saw the courage of Peter, and notice it wasn't the, the witty education of Peter, Okay? Yeah, he'd been with Jesus, but he hadn't gone to university. He doesn't have a bunch of degrees behind his name. He's Peter the fisherman. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, both of which were blue-collar workers their entire life, they were fishermen who followed Jesus. They realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. But look what happens. They were astonished. Why would these men look at unschooled, ordinary men and be astonished. But it goes on. And they took note. That means they paid attention. They comprehended that these men had been with Jesus. Now, that's pretty cool that just being with Jesus three and a half years brought that kind of courage to them, but that's not completely why. What the Sanhedrin didn't know is it wasn't just because Peter and John and these men had been with Jesus, because that was kind of past tense, right? What they didn't understand is they have the Holy Spirit in them now. And that power at work in their life gives them courage, even in the face of adversity. See, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is really distinctive to the Christian faith. There is no other religion out there that talks about the fact that God you worship actually dwells in you. This is why the Christian faith, bar none, should be the best religion in the entire world because the God that we worship loves us so much that he comes and dwells in us by the Holy Spirit to help us to live for him and to live the abundant life. Nobody else has this. Yet even we as evangelicals so underestimate the work of the Spirit in our life every day. But no other religion does that. So Jesus commands them, do nothing until you leave. Do nothing until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't leave. Wait. Why? Because the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of the early Christians caused the watching world to be astonished. Here's my concern. Is our community astonished by the work of the churches in our community? Is our world, or even just back up, is our United States of America astonished because of the work of the churches in our communities? Do we watch headline news about remarkable things happening because the church is alive and spirit-empowered and doing things? Now, here's what might happen. There might be a small story in the very back page of something that talks about what some church gave away a bunch of bikes to kids that need, and wasn't that a good thing that they did? You know, giving away bikes, as generous as that is and lovely, that requires no power of the Holy Spirit to do. When we gave gifts to kids, and we loved doing it, when we gave gifts to kids at Lafayette who needed Christmas gifts, and we, you, gave, that's wonderful. But you know what, friends? That doesn't require any spirit-empowered work. The church can do good, but if you want to do mission and see life change, we have to have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. 
That is the bottom line that Jesus was trying to get to. Don't leave. You need this. You can do a lot of good things under my name, and my name might take you a while or take you far, but listen, you need the Holy Spirit in you to truly accomplish the mission that I have for you. Do we want the world to be astonished by the church? Yes, but not by the goody-goody things we do. We want them to be astonished because they look at us and go, these are people who God dwells in them, and because of that, the work they do is transforming lives. You know, I think that if the early Christians were around today, let's say Peter happened to drop off in neighborhood church, or James, or any of those early apostles, would they look around and even identify that we were Christians? That's a scary thought. If if the people who originally were at the catalyst edge of the Holy Spirit's outpouring and what that meant on their life as men and women who were unschooled, ordinary people and what they did for the sake of the gospel, if they were to come here, would they even recognize the Christian faith in the church today? Or would they look at us and go, what has happened? This is not what we laid our lives down for. This is not what the Holy Spirit empowered us for, was to come and sit in rows and and eat all the goods, and then go home and do nothing with your life. This is not what we saw. And friends, those things ought to shake us to the core because the Holy Spirit has not changed. Because he is God, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What has changed? Our interest, openness, and appetite for the Spirit of God to be at work in us. And we can live as though we don't need him. We can do good without him. But you cannot do his mission. And because of that, many of you become very frustrated with your faith. Because it feels old and stale. Let me just tell you this. The degree to which believers have ignored the Holy Spirit is directly connected to the the dissatisfaction they feel with their Christian faith. Are you dissatisfied with your Christian faith? And chances are the Holy Spirit's not even been on your radar. The Holy Spirit had to work in you to become saved, but maybe that was all for you, and you've never really focused on anything else the Holy Spirit does in your life. How the Holy Spirit helps convict you of sin, yes, but helps you overcome and live a victorious life. How the Holy Spirit helps you to pray like never before, to be a witness with a boldness and courage like Peter, to evangelize people with the good news of the gospel. There is so much that we do not even step up to that the Holy Spirit has for you. So here's the thing. We often think the Holy Spirit is for us. It's like some kind of a thing that makes us feel good and warm and fuzzy. Let me just tell you a truth about the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't give you the Holy Spirit for you necessarily. He gave us the Holy Spirit for him because there is no other way we could carry on his mission and live the lives he's called us to without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always call us into his mission. But too many of us as Christians, we're kind of stuck in what I'll call the spiritual doldrums. You ever been in the doldrums? I know it's a word we don't use very often. I think my grandparents might have used the doldrums. We don't really use the term much. But it kind of speaks of that season of your life where you feel just stalled out, where it just feels like it's stale, it's unmoving. It's just like, yeah, that's the doldrums. But do you know where the saying came from? I think it's very interesting when we think about the Holy Spirit and the wind of the Holy Spirit, because this is where it really came from. The doldrums is actually a nautical term. 
And it refers to the belt around our planet that we call the equator, where five degrees north and south of the equator, it's a space where sailors have discovered that because of the weather conditions, it it is often a place where there is no surface wind. And so back in the day when sailing was very dependent on sails to get you places, now we have cruise liners that have engines and you can go anywhere you want, right? But back in the day, if you were sailing in a boat that was wind-driven and you happened to cross the doldrums, your boat would come to a complete stop. And you'd be given to the drift and the pull of wherever the waves took you. Because what happened is right there in that middle region, the northern hemisphere trade winds would kind of blow to the south and the west. And the southern hemisphere trade winds would blow to the north and the east. And where they met was right at the band where we have the warmest tropical weather. And because of that heat, what happens to hot air? It rises. So all of this air goes up. And there's very little wind down at the surface level that would direct and guide boats. So they'd be stuck in the doldrums. Couldn't go anywhere at the mercy of the waves. Friends, sometimes that happens in our spiritual life. Some of you are in the spiritual doldrums. You're stuck. You're stalled out. There's no wind in your sails. And when you think about doing something for God, you're trying to do it with all of your energy, but there is no wind in your sails. You're in the doldrums. And what's crazy about the doldrums is it's just kind of right there in the middle. And that's where so many Christians live. We're not walking away from God, but we're not living for the devil. We're just kind of somewhere in the middle. You're not really stepping away from God, but neither are you stepping into what God has. Kind of in the middle. And that middle place is a dangerous place. In fact, for sailors, the doldrums were far more dangerous to them than even the Bermuda Triangle. Friends, let me just tell you, spiritual doldrums are dangerous. But the good news is the wind of the Spirit can blow. If that's where you're at today in that stale place, the wind of the Spirit can still blow. But here's the problem. Without the Spirit's power, we can't follow God and experience life to its fullest. We can't. We just can't. Our human abilities will never get us there. But the good news is we don't have to. Jesus said, wait, wait, don't go anywhere. You got to wait for the Holy Spirit. And once you have the Holy Spirit, we're going to do some awesome things together. You're going to go places you've never even imagined. Your life will be full. That's what we call it being filled with the Holy Spirit. So maybe you're in the doldrums today. Can I remind you the wind of the Spirit still blows? In Acts chapter 2, we see that one occasion, day of Pentecost, They were gathered in the upper room. When the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly what happened? A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Here we see that word pneuma. It is the wind that they heard. It was the Spirit of God coming in and filling that place. And what happened? That church, those disciples never looked back, and they were never again the same. Open your heart and allow the wind of the Spirit to breathe upon your stalled-out soul to set your spiritual life in motion. Because some of you, you need that desperately. So open your heart to the Spirit of God. The wind of the Spirit still blows, and He will blow across the sails of your life and continue to direct and guide you into things that God has for you. So the Spirit is like wind. 
But very quickly, secondly, that also we see in scriptures, Jesus say the spirit is like water. In fact, it's like living water. Living water has often been used to talk about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, we'll just do this very quickly. In John 7, we see Jesus stand up to make a declaration. And in the declaration, he calls people who are thirsty to come to him and drink. Okay? Now, let me give you some context. Because it wasn't like Jesus was running a stand where he sold water bottles for $5. All right? This wasn't happening. There was a reason. So let me explain it before we read the passage. Here's what was happening. The Jewish people always had their festivals and feasts that they celebrated to remember their history, much like we do. Okay? We have days we celebrate to remember our history. Part of their celebration they were called to remember was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a seven-day period, sometimes eight, sometimes longer, kind of depending on what was going on. But the general principle behind it was they would remember the days when Israel was wandering in the wilderness and they had to live in shelters. Thus, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of the Dwelling Places. So they would remember their times, this has been thousands of years later now, but they would look back and remember their wilderness wanderings, where God led them, yes, but also God provided for them in miraculous ways. For 40 years, God provided food for them in the desert, manna from heaven or quail, and water occasionally from a rock, a source where you wouldn't anticipate water. In fact, in the desert spaces, wilderness spaces, there wasn't very many wells. And in the context of what Jesus is now addressing, in Exodus 17, we see the story where the people came to Moses and complained, we're dying of thirst, you better give us water. So a riot is stirring, five million people are thirsty. We're not talking like a a band of a few people who can split a bottle five ways. We're talking about millions of people who need a lot of water. So Moses does what every smart man does. God, (laughs) I don't know what to do here. I cannot produce water, but you do. God told him to strike a rock with the staff that he used to cross, to to lay upon the Red Sea and it would cross. So he struck the rock and water poured, enough water for everybody's thirst to be quenched. Now let me remind you, things that happened in the Old Testament were often a foretelling of things that would be completely made known under the leadership of the Messiah. All right, so even things like the temple, the tabernacle, the process, The book of Hebrews helps us see how all of those things were a foreshadowing of Jesus coming, the high priest, the ultimate fulfillment of all those things. So here's where this really gets interesting. So they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering what it was like when God was a provider. Now, part of their celebration they would do is the high priest would take a golden pitcher. He would go to the well that feeds the pools of Siloam. He would go to that well, and he would fill his pitcher, walk back, and they would sing psalms, of, of ascent all the way back to the temple, and there was a generally either an ornamental rock or even the altar, and he would pour the water upon the rock, symbolic of that miraculous water that would go out and feed the thirsty souls. They would do this seven days. On the seventh day, they would do that seven times, where they would pour out the pitcher upon the rock. And then on the eighth day, they wouldn't do the pitcher thing. On the eighth day, They would pray for rain, like we have no problem with that right now. In fact, you can hear it pitter-patting around our roofs right now. But they would pray for rain because the Feast of Tabernacles happened during harvest. And they wanted appropriate rains for this agricultural society. So they would not do any of that, but they would pray for rain on the eighth day. Now, here's where it gets interesting. That eighth day is when Jesus stood up 
Luke chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Okay, now this sounds familiar because that's what he told the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. When he asked her for a drink, he's like, if you just would ask me, I'd give you living water, right? John goes on to explain it. So this isn't what Jesus said. This is kind of a description now of what Jesus just said. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The day of Pentecost hasn't come yet. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been, not yet been glorified. So this is what's so cool about this. Jesus seizes a moment where they're celebrating God's provision of water that quenched their physical thirst. But he knew the nation of Israel right now was thirsty spiritually. The law had not saved them. The rituals were becoming old, even the pouring out of the water on the rock. I mean, everything was just becoming ritual, and they were becoming dry, and they were thirsty for God, and they were anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. So Jesus stands and makes a declaration that only the Messiah can make. I will give you living water, the Holy Spirit. And he makes that declaration saying, I'm the one who provides for your souls, the refreshment that you need. Now, how's that possible? Well, what's interesting is Paul picks up on this theme about Jesus and the rock. And if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, Paul's giving instruction about this nation of Israel and the wanderings, and he says this, they all drank the same spiritual, or all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock, listen, that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So Paul makes the connection. The illustration of what happened in the Old Testament, the rock, all the water coming from the rock, that is Jesus who comes to bring us living water. But how does the living water flow? Through Jesus who was smitten, wasn't he? Not by a staff. Well, he was beaten by a staff, but he was also smitten and beaten and crucified and killed, dead, buried, but rose again. But what was going to come? Where was the living water going to come from? The rock, yes, but who was the living water? The Holy Spirit. See, John put it all together for us. So did Paul in his writing in Corinthians. Put it all together. The Holy Spirit is like living water that Jesus came to give us. He's the rock, and he's the only living water that will satisfy the thirst that's in your soul today. We can try to fill it with a lot of other stuff, and the nation of Israel tried but it was Jesus who made available by his death and resurrection and ascension the gift of the Holy Spirit that would satisfy their thirsty souls. That's why I love the fact that when the Holy Spirit is talked about in the New Testament specifically being given, the word that's used is poured out. Poured out. I want you to look at we already said We already saw it in Titus where it talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out. We already saw it once there. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. This is... After Pentecost, well, it's the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came, Peter gets up and preaches. He quotes Joel, the prophet. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. What do you pour out, friends? You pour out living water. The Holy Spirit, 
like a wind, yes, that can breathe life into the sails that we need filled so we can begin to move where God wants us to move. But he's also the living water that satisfies the thirst that many of you have. You've been following Jesus a long time, but you're thirsty. You feel parched. Jesus says, come, anyone who is thirsty, and drink. For those who are spiritually thirsty, the Spirit is still being poured out today. For those living in a spiritual drought, open your hearts to the life-giving water of the Spirit. So what's my challenge today as we close? It's this. Just open your hearts. Open your hearts. I know what it's like to be in a season of my life where my boat was at a standstill. And I was in the doldrums. It's like, God, this really can't be what you have for me. I mean, this isn't working. I have to work harder, try harder. I mean, it's like nothing's happening here. But I had discovered what had happened. I went from being a spirit-filled follower of Jesus to just doing. And the more that I kept doing and doing and doing and never coming back and recognizing I need continually the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life to do what he's called me to do, to breathe the wind into my sails and to refresh my weary soul, unless I practice that on a daily basis and lean toward the work of the Holy Spirit within my life, then I will, I will burn myself out. I will die. I will be dissatisfied. I will walk away from my faith. And some of you, that's where you've been. So my challenge, open your hearts. The beginning of this series, just start here. Open your hearts to the Holy Spirit. He's already come into your life through your salvation. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us. But friends, the Holy Spirit is still active and there is so much more he wants to do in and through your life than just save you. But are you willing to be open? We're going to talk more in the coming weeks about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and life in the Holy Spirit. But you got to start here. Because I believe that the church is in danger, friends. His mission is still going to happen some way or the other, but a lot of churches are in danger because they're in the doldrums. Let that not be the case for this church as we move forward to whatever God has for the future. So do me a favor as we pray. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you want to, just hold your palms up. If you're just kind of in a position of being receptive to the Holy Spirit today, just hold your palms up as I pray. Father, we thank you that from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit has been at work. Genesis chapter 1, we see the Holy Spirit present. He is a part of your Godhead. And I know that he's not been here to draw attention to himself. He's, he's, his role is to glorify Christ and to bring honor to your name. I understand that. But we also know that through Jesus' teaching, and through the evidence of the work of the Spirit throughout the church, the Holy Spirit is critical to our life. But many of us have done quite well, we think, without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. But would you open our hearts today? Would you open our hearts to the work of the Spirit again? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come Breathe upon the lives of those who are just at a standstill. Their stalled out souls feel like they're going nowhere. 
Holy Spirit, breath of God, would you breathe over their soul today? And with that, would there come a refreshing within their souls and their hearts today? I also pray, Holy Spirit, you are the living water that Jesus promised would be like a spring welling up from within us. And with that, there's life, there's refreshment, and there's blessing. But we have to open ourselves up, Holy Spirit, to those that are parched and dry. Their soul feels shriveled and old. Would your water well up within their soul, refreshing them? And I pray they would sense that even now, the refreshing work of the Spirit in their life. And then tomorrow, Lord, may we start our day this way, just inviting you, Holy Spirit, to be at work in our lives, in our hearts today. Thank you that you are our helper, Jesus said, the one who was with us. We need you. So pour out the Spirit upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.